So today is the very first solo episode for The Lived Experience and my name is Joel Kleber, I am the host of The Lived Experience and I'm always talking about sharing your story and how powerful lived experience is in regards to mental health and mental illness and I thought it's about time to share my story in full. Sort of people who know me know it a little bit but I don't know to the full extent of it and I hope to do these solo episodes um, they won't be hour-long monologues, probably anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes, just recounting stories from my childhood and even adulthood regarding having a uh, mother with bipolar disorder 1. Now, my name is Joel Kleber, as I said at the start. I'm 33. I live in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, have always uh, lived in Melbourne for the last probably 10 years and uh, grew up in Warrnambool and also Perth. And my lived experience is by having a mother uh, with bipolar disorder 1 and she was a single mum. Um, and just look, a recent update regarding that is her, she's got now, um, it's called, I think it's called supranuclear palsy, PSP, which is a rain brain disorder that causes problems with movement, walking and balance and eye movement. And basically, you know, there's no cure for it. And in the space of two years, she's gone from being able to operate a household by herself to now being in a nursing home and basically just, just cannot move and needs assistance with everything. And it's been very confronting the last two years just to see how quickly she's de- deteriorated. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it, there's no condition of it, no history of it in our family. Um, you know, I spoke to the neuroscientist about it, uh, when she came up, uh, from Melbourne in, in a, in a flying doctor service about it. And he basically said, it's not genetic. There's, there's nothing in the family. So don't worry about it, which was a selfish reason I asked for myself. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things that just come out of nowhere. Um, you know, I, the only thing I can really put it down to is that she's got an extensive history of mental illness um, from a young age and she's had a whole large range of, you know, antipsychotic drugs and um, by, uh, electric shock treatment, which is ECT, over the years, you know, and had so many treatments of that. So that obviously doesn't help the brain, even though there's not much research online saying that this directly causes it. You know, there's some stuff. With ECT, saying ECT long-term doesn't affect the brain, but, I, I, you know, I really, from my lived experience, I don't believe that for a fact. And if you do have a, anyone who's got, you know, a mental health condition and they do try and use ECT on them, I would suggest that you really talk about that with the doctor because, um, you know, I I didn't have much say growing up with it and um, they just used to ECT um, my mum all the time. And, um, you know, I'm not, I don't know directly if this has had an impact on this uh, progressive subnuclear palsy condition. Um, but you know it's hard not to sort of think that it has uh, paid a played a factor in it. So my lived experience, as I said, is having a um, single mother with bipolar disorder one. Now bipolar sort of you know means a lot of things. It used to be called manic depression, and people think you're up and you're down, up and you're down. Well, with my mum being bipolar um, one, it sort of meant she was way more manic than depressed. Um, there were times of depression where she, you know, just stay in bed a lot, but it was more the manic stuff which really affected us um, growing up. Um, lots of unusual behaviours, and it's just not a normal, normal childhood. You know, from a very early age, you're exposed to lots of things, and um, you don't know any better, but you don't have a normal family. Um, put it that way. Uh, once you become aware of it, so the first time I really became aware of my mother's mental illness was when I was around seven years old, and I think I was in uh, in Perth at the time in primary school, and. You know, dropped off to school. We didn't know much was much was happening or much was even wrong at all. And then basically, you know, I think the police came to the school and you know and had to pull out pull us out of class and you know and take us to the principal's office and then basically say to us, you know, your mother is now um, in hospital. And we we instantly think, you know, what's wrong with her? It's a physical condition, and they didn't really say too much. So they took us um, in the back of the uh, the divvy van 
to um, I think it was the human services offices at a place called Mirabuka. Now, if you know Perth at all, know Mirabuka and how dodgy that is, it's a very dodgy suburb. And we were taken to this human services office because we had no family uh, in Perth at all. Uh, my mum, for whatever reason, decided to um, leave Warnable, where she's one of 11 in Melbourne, uh, and go to Perth to, to make it on her own um, with my father at the time. So it wasn't probably the best uh, or most responsible decision at all by both of them. Uh, because if something happened to her, it was just basically us left to, you know, whatever happened at the time, which was what, what ended up happening. So all of a sudden we get, we get taken to this, um, uh, this, this human services office with this old guy. I remember him, you know, this balding guy with the sort of the vulture haircut, this old sort of suit in this dodgy sort of shopping center. And uh, we're just sort of left there and they're sort of, you know, the police were really good and just sort of, it's it's sort of hard to know how to handle it. And um, they just left us there uh, with this guy. And then all of a sudden, I think within a couple of hours, um, we were then taken to a couple of suburbs away um, to a foster home. So within the space of being dropped off at school, thinking everything's going really well, you're, you're, you come back and then all of a sudden you're in, a, you're in some strange lady's house in a suburb you don't know. And it's a really traumatic experience thinking back on it. Um, I didn't know much better at the time, but um, it was a very traumatic experience even thinking back to it now that we had no explanation. No one told us exactly what even was wrong with her. So the, the thing with us as well, we were told she was in hospital and we, we didn't know what was wrong with her. They wouldn't tell us. So it was very hard to understand that as a young child. If you, someone said, oh, your mum's broken your leg or broken your hip or whatever, you could understand that and you want to go see her, but they didn't really tell us. They kept us in the dark which made it even worse. And, and another thing which made it even worse was that we did have a, a dad at the time, but he was working in Saudi Arabia and he was only coming home for two weeks a year. So he wasn't there. And it was hard for us to understand as well as kids, well, you know, if mum's sick, where's dad? And he wouldn't come back. So he wouldn't leave his job to come back to look after us, which was also um, very hurtful and very, very traumatic at the time. But, you know, that was our first experience with mental health and mental illness and that was mine at seven and then from that point on you sort of, your childhood goes and then you sort of, you know, thrust in this world of a bit being a young adult because, you know, things that go on from from there are never really the same again. Um, you know, and I definitely in regards to memories and stuff, I do remember the time pretty vividly because it was a very traumatic experience and it's probably something I haven't really dealt with properly to this day and I'm trying to, I've reached out to a, a lady called Tamara Hill in the States. She's got one of the best YouTube channels I recommend for anyone who's got some PTSD or childhood trauma or a parent with a mental illness, she's got really good YouTube content because I've just found it really hard in Australia to get help. I don't think the Australian psychologists are really equipped. I've tried a couple of times and it just got me nowhere. So I've reached out to her to do a couple of international consultations and I'll let you know how that goes. But the this whole subject of, of having a parent with a mental illness, it goes really under understood by the members of the public um, by just people in general. Um, you know, kids in these situations, they're not really considered from my experience, um, you know, and which is half the reason why I wanted to do this content and half the reason why I'm sharing this to you is because that if you do have these mental health fundraisers and things like that, there's some really good organizations who help kids and, and help them process this sort of information and give them support. So I recommend that you throw your funds behind that rather than your big organizations because they have all this awareness, they have all this money, but these these things like, you know, children with mentally we have their parents with a mental illness it's a massive issue yet it receives no attention which is why i do this podcast and i'm sharing it with you because i encourage others to share their lived experience especially if you've had a a parent or have a parent with a mental illness 
so yeah, so after that um, sort of experience, you know, we were at this this foster home with this lady, and as I said, it's, if you've gone from one day of having a normal normal life, and then all of a sudden you're in this foster home in this strange house, and you don't know what's going on, and and it's very traumatic, and you cry, you cry a lot, you know. At the seven years old, I was very religious, believe it or not. For anyone who knows me now, I'm a pretty big atheist, but I was massively religious, and that was drummed into me by my mum, who's a massive Roman Catholic, and all I can remember doing is um crying in bed and praying to Jesus, you know, that someone would uh would help myself and my sister and it never came to help. So, we, you know, I did that every day and every day and then eventually you sort of slowly process the information of what's going on and you just go to school. I think we were at school the next day or the day after. So you can imagine you've come out of school and then, you know, you only had one day off and then the next day after that you're back into school as well with no sort of debrief or no counselling or no help whatsoever. I do remember some sort of social worker being involved at the time but I just think they came to check on the lady. I don't really think they came to talk to us. And we were really shy kids, so I don't think we would have given her much anyway. But it would have been nice to have someone actually persist with us because looking back on it now, we never had um, any real counselling or help from psychologists or, or psychiatrists in any way, um, you know, which was really disappointing. I think it would have helped a lot. You know, luckily enough, touch wood, I think I've um, turned out okay but, um, you know, I can see so many kids in this situation can go completely off the rails because it's a very traumatic experience and people cope with trauma differently. You know, they might cope with drugs, alcohol as an adult because of these incidents that happen in childhood. And uh, to not support kids at that stage properly, like it's such a detriment to the community because if that person doesn't turn out well, for example, they're going to be such a drain on the economy and all these sorts of things. So just some really good early intervention with kids who live in these situations or have parents with mental illness will go a long way uh, to helping the economy and obviously helping the person uh, long term. Uh, as I said, it was it was such a crazy situation being a seven-year-old and, and all of a sudden your mum's in a psychiatric ward and you're not really told much. You don't, you're not really even explained what bipolar is. You don't know what it is. You know, your mum's your mum and that's her behavior. And that's how you know, you don't really know too much. Um, you know, the only thing you've really got to go off is comparing it to other households when you go there, but there was nothing really too much with us at the time. Our father was earning a lot of money and sending it back to mum who unbeknownst to us wasn't properly paying the mortgage and all these sorts of things, but, um, just buying stuff. So we were probably pretty well off for a short time because she was just spending and, buying us all these toys and stuff uh, with the money that was meant for the house, um, which all came crashing down, which I'll talk about later. But, yeah, so seven-year-old kid, foster home, uh, not much support from the government, and then probably the next day or two uh, you're then basically back to school and away you go. And and that experience with the foster family, the lady, I can't remember too much about her. She was a lovely lady. I think she gave us money for stuff. And we this is back in the day when as a seven-year-old you could go to the shops and buy some lollies and stuff for the milk bar. So we did that, but we never really talked about it at all. The way I coped with my trauma or coped with it as a kid was really just crying every night, crying every night, praying to Jesus um, that, you know, this would be over and that be reunited with your mum. And as a kid, time is so long as well. So I think it was a three-month or two-month stint her first time, but that seemed like a year. And what happened is I think, I don't know if it was the first week, but it might have been the second week where they allowed us to go and see our mum in the psychiatric ward, which is called Greylands in WA. I'm pretty sure it's called Greylands. And as a kid, you don't really care. You just want to go see your mum. Where is he? Where is she? And then all of a sudden, um, you know, we've been driven. I can't remember if it was by the social worker or by the lady herself. I think it might have been by the social worker or someone came and picked us up and then took us to see our mum at Greylands Psychiatric Ward. And, you know, we just wanted to see mum. So you can imagine a couple of kids, we're being paraded 
uh, to see our mum. And I think at the time she would have been starting to have ECT and things like that. Electroconvulsive therapy is what they use to um, help people get back on track. We always were told it was to reset the brain and and that sort of thing. But, you know, the after results of ECT, you know, the person can drool a bit, you know, they can be saying all these crazy things. And But we didn't care. We just wanted to see our mum. So we were taken into this psychiatric ward in Greylands in Perth. And it's a massive facility. It's a massive sprawled out facility. And we're taken in there and we're taken to see our mum. He's in the middle of a psychiatric ward. So we're just a couple of kids psychiatric ward with open with patients everywhere so there's patients everywhere mum comes out we're happy to see her we run and hug her and cry and all that sort of stuff and my mum's a very uh social friendly person so what she did is she'd automatically just go very proud of her children go around walking us around and parading us around to go and meet everyone in the psychiatric ward meet my daughter meet my son all this sort of stuff and um you know Seven years old, you're 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 shaking hands with someone who's got cigarette burns on their arms or has got cuts in their arms, and who's just some guy who smells of cigarettes. But you don't really want to meet them. You're there to see your mum, but we'll parade it around to meet all these people. And you know, it, that in itself, when you think back, and it was very traumatic and it was very irresponsible of the um of the of the uh, the social worker at the time because you know it's bad enough being there as it is, but it should have been in a controlled environment or at least you know, somewhere we could have been in private. After that, we'll take into a room and then we'll be able to sit with our mum in her bed and stuff like that and just, just talk to her and listen to her and all that sort of stuff. And she would have been ranting and raving about all this other stuff about these conspiracies and stuff, but we didn't care. We were just happy to see her. And then, um, as you can imagine, I think after an hour or two, we then had to go. So, um, you know, taken back and then when can we see her again? We had to wait to the next weekend. So it was once a weekend we could see her and that was so long um, just going in there and seeing her every time. And she didn't get better quick either. It took a long, long time. And we'd always go in there and she's had ECT the day before or something like that. And she's been drooling and saying all these conspiracies and all this sort of stuff. And as a seven-year-old, it was just very hard to know because you had to believe everything your parents tell you. And we I certainly believe everything she told me as a young person until I got a bit older. And um, But that's your mum, you love them, and that's what you do. But that experience itself, like just thinking back on it now, like there's so many kids who would have seen their parents in psychiatric wards or a parent in a psychiatric ward and that the support and that the management of the kid itself in there is not the best. I don't know what they do now, but, you know, having being allowed to be paraded around, you know, the psychiatric facility meeting all these patients and stuff, definitely not the best thing for you. The, you know, the, I just want that you just want to see the person and, and you need to have a bit of a debrief as well to understand um, what that place is and, what are the conditions are and all that sort of stuff. And at this stage, we still never had bipolar explained to us. I don't think we met her psychologist or psychiatrist who was treating her once, which you thought would have been the case, you know, like if the psychiatrist or psychologist knew there was kids involved, you'd think they'd want to meet us and explain to us what they were doing to our mum and all these sorts of stuff. And they never did once, which is a massive bugbear of mine with the system and something they really need to change because what they do is they they see kids as an inconvenience, these psychologists or psychiatrists, and they're not even considered in how they treat the person. So they just want to treat the person and get that better, which is fine. But you've got these these lives which are so impacted by this person and they don't know what's going on. You, you don't explain it to them. So that's a really, really big thing that needs to change. And I'm not too sure where it's at now. I hope it does change. But what I'll do, guys, is I'll end the episode there. If you have managed to listen to the end, thank you very much. I'm going to do this in stories. So I'm going to try and sort of go through a timeline, put some new stuff in, put some some incidents in and try and sort of give you a really good picture of what my lived experience is and just some facts about the mental health system and mental illness itself because I think, you know, anyone who's listened to me talk, as I said, the mental health awareness movement is fantastic, 
But there is massive brands who just focus on a couple of things, which is minor depression and anxiety. And obviously suicide is a big problem. But what they don't tell you with suicide is that the percentage of people who commit suicide are, you know, bipolar or schizophrenia, for example, right? So, you know, I think there's a, there a study that I read, uh, read there from 2018, 2019, which said I think 1,600 people in Australia with bipolar uh, committed suicide. So you get 1% of the population roughly with bipolar and 1,600 of those people committing suicide a year, which is a massive number, which you would not know about from how they talk about mental health awareness and the mental health awareness movement. And I also implore you guys, if you are a child or if you are an adult and you can relate to what I'm saying anywhere in the world, please nominate yourself to be a guest. I will have you on because I want to share your lived experiences. I want to share your stories. It's really important to get this stuff out there. And for me, I'm 33. I used to um, you know, hide from it a lot because uh, there's a lot of stigma with mental health and I didn't want people to look down on me. So, uh, you know, I, I haven't even really probably dealt with it fully what happened to myself regarding having a parent with a mental illness but i'm sort of something i'm truly working on and this podcast is actually very therapeutic for me so for whatever reason i can feel happy telling you the listener all this sort of stuff as opposed to a psychologist so um, if you did enjoy this episode please make sure you leave a review also head to the website which is www.livedexperiencepodcast.com and that way you can nominate yourself a guest as well i'd love to have you on and two episodes in a week So we're going to get consistent with this and I'll have another episode next week which will be either with the guest or will be part two of my lived experience journey. So thank you, take care. Until then, I'll talk to you next time.